dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. Each episode, we'll discuss one classic book and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR with old and new reads for every literary taste. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. How's it going? It's going pretty well. I'm excited for our bonus episode today because it's National Poetry Month, and we're going to discuss our approach to poetry, a few of our favorite poems, and some novels in verse. Just to celebrate, we're not here to convince you to read poetry if you don't want to. To be honest, (laughs) we don't read much of it either, but (laughs) we do think it's worth celebrating, and a lot of what we discuss today can also apply to reading fiction in the classics as well. This is going to be really fun because we never profess to be experts in the books we're talking about, but we really aren't experts in poetry. (laughs) No, but... I think we can appreciate it enough for a bonus episode here. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's fun to talk about things that you're learning about together, not just things that you know a lot about already. Oh, totally. So, I mean, I think we've made it pretty clear where we stand on poetry, but I'm just curious to hear more of your thoughts on it. How, How do you feel about poetry in general? Do you have any past experiences that are particularly memorable? Well, in college, I tried to avoid poetry classes for as long as I could. And then my senior year, I took the most amazing class I have ever taken or will ever take called Greek Poetry and Philosophy in Greece. And (laughs) yes, we spent a month in Greece reading philosophy and poetry and traveling from place to place. And it was so magical, as as you can imagine. And not just for the poets that we studied, but the whole class was really became about celebrating ideas and celebrating poetry. And so we'd have these big meals together each night where we would drink a lot of wine, like a lot of wine. And we would recite poems to each other and share our favorite poems and songs and sing. And it was just, it was like the most magical month of my life, probably. (laughs) And that, I think, is where I finally fell in love with poetry. And that's not to say that I read it often now, because I don't, but it really that time and that experience of bonding with people over poems really showed me that poetry can be magic in the right context. Oh my goodness, I love that. It was amazing. I mean, we went to the island of Lesbos and read Sappho and oh, it was just, I want to go back so badly. (laughs) (laughs) Also, this was in 2008, right as like the recession was happening. And this course had been funded by a couple of alumni from my college. So it was extremely decadent like we were in Greece living it up and things really changed for a lot of people when we got back and so it just felt like this alternate fantasy world magical time of life yeah you got to live in a Madeline Miller novel yeah exactly it was amazing (laughs) that's so fun well none of my poetry experiences quite match up to (laughs) one day wine in Greece (laughs) Chelsea one day I want you to have that too yes how about how about you what are what are your poetry experiences good or bad I just I really hated poetry in high school and then really the only poetry that I got in college was maybe through a couple of theater classes and my Shakespeare course and I loved my Shakespeare course I always loved the sonnets I felt like I could break those down and understand them but I otherwise, my teachers really treated poetry like a puzzle that had to be unlocked, and I didn't appreciate being told that my interpretation was wrong or feeling like I couldn't access it, so I just hated it. And then I started teaching poetry to high schoolers, and (laughs) then I absolutely loved poetry because my students really... 
I don't know that they would have said that they loved poetry, but I hope that through our unit they gained an appreciation and watching them learn about poetry and explore it was so fun. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about that a little bit more because I also hated poetry in high school. I feel exactly the same way as you that I didn't like being told that my interpretations were wrong. I did think it was sometimes kind of cool when my teacher would say, and this is what it's really about. That was interesting, but I never felt like I could really do that on my own. Definitely not in high school and probably not even in college. But so how do you teach poetry differently than you were taught poetry? I actually think that my hatred for poetry in school means that I I teach it well, which is weird. But I think that's how it works for a lot of teachers is the thing that they didn't like. They end up presenting for students in a way that's different you know, if it, if it works for them, it tends to work better for their students. So the way that I like to do it is sometimes I'll pair poems with other texts. Like if we're reading a novel, I'll pair a poem with it. And if it's similar themes, sometimes it's easier because it's already an entry point to the poem. But typically, if I'm doing a poetry unit, the focus is on exploration, super easy grading, so I typically like save it for the end of the year when everyone's really antsy and, you know, we can just kind of get wild. That's smart. <laughs> <laughs> I focus on the fun and we do poetry slams. So we do sort of a focus on spoken word poetry, which I really enjoy the performance aspect of it. And I tend to see students really light up with that. And so... That's where my comfort zone is with poetry. I have a lot more fun if we're treating it as something joyous and celebratory instead of super academic with heavy grading associated with it. So that's typically my approach. That's so cool. I really want to do more creative writing with my own students next year and beyond. So I'm going to have to ask you for some of those assignments that you do. I have some ideas. We'll, we'll talk about a couple here because I think that they're really great for anybody to try. And another thing that helped me enjoy poetry more was a creative writing class for my graduate program where I was writing poetry. And I was super uncomfortable because I thought, well, I don't like poetry. How am I going to be you know, good at this? But I had a great instructor. We had really fun model texts. And it was actually a really fun class and process. And one of my poems, I think, ended up getting published in the school literary journal or something I don't remember I'd have to look back at it oh I love so then (laughs) so then I was like oh okay like really anyone can do this (laughs) (laughs) if I can do it and get a poem published anybody can do it (laughs) that's amazing so I'm curious to know if you have any poems that you like to start with your students or that you just really enjoy or remember reading in the past that just feel like when you think of poetry, your mind goes, oh, you have to read this poem. (laughs) Well, the first one that comes to mind is actually not one that I like love and swoon over. And I have a few of those, but I almost always start my poetry units with my students with Billy Collins's Introduction to Poetry. Have you read that poem? I don't think so. I've read other Billy Collins, but that one's not familiar to me. I wonder if maybe I have. I don't know. It's really short. Do you want me to read it to you? Yes, please. Okay. Introduction to Poetry. I ask them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say, drop a mouse into the poem and watch him probe his way out or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with a rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin (laughs) beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. And it's so true. It's so true. And so I, I like starting with that poem. It's easy to understand, but it has great metaphors and imagery in it. And we talk about 
how he wants us to read poems and how he doesn't want us to read poems. And that kind of sets the tone for the unit and lets them know that I don't think there's a single what the poem really means to any poem we're looking at. So that's what I usually start with. It's fun. Billy Collins is so fun. And it communicates what I want students to get. And, And I think I think we'll both probably talk a lot more about teaching in this episode than normal because that's where we read most of our poetry. But I think that poem can speak to a lot of people who were taught to read poems by tying the poem to a chair and beating it with a hose for a confession. (laughs) (laughs) And really, it should be or can be more playful and lighthearted and personal than that completely it's so funny the so the poem that I tend to start with is a little bit like that where it's really celebratory I love to start my students off with eating poetry by Mark Strand and I'll read this one because it's not super long either and it's available on the poetry foundation online we'll make sure we link to all of our poems here eating poetry by Mark Strand Ink runs from the corners of my mouth. There is no happiness like mine. I have been eating poetry. The librarian does not believe what she sees. Her eyes are sad and she walks with her hands in her dress. The poems are gone. The light is dim. The dogs are on the basement stairs and coming up. Their eyeballs roll. Their blonde legs burn like brush. The poor librarian begins to stamp her feet and weep. She does not understand. When I get on my knees and lick her hand, she screams. I am a new man. I snarl at her and bark. I romp with joy in the bookish dark. (laughs) Oh, that last line is so good. Isn't it so fun? And it's, it's a little weird. And, you know, mostly students sort of get it. Like, oh, he's not eating poetry. He's reading poetry and really loving it and devouring these poems. But it takes a while to get there. Uh Uh-huh. And they feel such success when they do and sort of the guiding process of that and the interp- the multiple interpretations that they have from the literal of he's turning into a dog yeah. <laughs> to the metaphorical is just really fun to process with them. And I just personally love that poem in general. That's great. I haven't read that one before. I'm so glad you introduced me to it. And then the other poems that I like to start with and are just a couple of my favorites are spoken word poetry. And I really like to get some video in front of my students when we start poetry so that they can see that it can be about the performance and really that there's such power to speaking it out loud. Just like with Shakespeare, where when we are talking on our Romeo and Juliet episode next week, we talk a lot about how it needs to be performed and it's so much better out loud and it's just not great when you're just reading it. That's all poetry, I think. I agree. Yeah, and spoken word, it's it's just, I think, a little bit easier to access, especially when you can see people's facial expressions really supporting the emotions in the poems. So the two that I really love are If I Should Have a Daughter by Sarah Kay. And this is a TED Talk, so she performs her poem and then goes on to talk about how she teaches poetry and the whole entire thing is really engaging. I play it all for my students. And then um, Jamila Lyascott, Three Ways to Speak English. It's this really fabulous spoken word poem about code switching. And she's just such an incredible performer. I often have students like standing up and really clapping after her because she just is really moving. That's And I love those. So... A couple of things from the Sarah K poem that, or from her TED talk that I have taken out and done with students, but also for myself as creative exercises. She says, we often think that not everybody can write poetry, but everyone can make a list. So if you want to write a poem, just start by writing a list. And the thing that she has her students do is 10 things I know to be true. Mm -hmm. You just make a list and it turns out, I mean, they totally read like a poem. Yeah, I've done that too. It's such a great exercise. So good. And then Things I Should Have Learned by Now is the other list that she has students do. And those are so, they're so fun to read. They're fun to write. 
And I just really, really love her in general. I love that. I've done the Sarah Kay as well. I love that video. Often my poetry unit that I do with my sophomores, it's supposed to be a romantic poetry unit, capital R romantic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's Byron, Keats, Shelley, Wordsworth, all those guys who I'm sure a lot of our listeners remember from, from high school. And I kind of get away with not doing it by doing lots and lots of Mary Oliver. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I find her to be kind of a contemporary offshoot of that. She writes a lot about nature and powerful emotions and small moments that signify big, meaningful things. And so we'll do some of the romantic poems and then I'll do a ton of Mary Oliver. And I I really enjoy that. The kids really like her. She's so quotable. And so many of my students love to collect Pinterest boards of inspirational quotes. And so many Mary Oliver lines can be pulled for that. And so they connect with it well. But I am hoping that we get to broaden the curriculum a little bit. I was trying to think of any poems from those guys <laughs> that, <laughs> that I enjoy. There are a couple that are really fun. Yeah, there are. And it's not that I don't like those poets. It's just, you know, they're same a lot. thing. They're, yeah, they're <laughs> a lot. And like, I think one of the reasons that a lot of people walk away thinking I don't like poetry is they only read, they only get a chance to read the old dead white guys and it's not to say that they didn't write beautiful poems it's just it makes it seem like poetry is a dead art and really stuffy and I mean the romantics weren't considered stuffy when they were writing but now they are and Mm -hmm. we need something fresh to to liven it up so yeah I, I like doing like I love doing Ode on a Grecian Urn it's beautiful there's there's great stuff in there But I think that's a surefire way to kill someone's interest in poetry is to just show them those really old poets. Definitely. It it killed mine. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I mean, Mary Oliver's completely the way to go with that. She's amazing. She should be in any poetry unit, but she does fit really well with the romantics. But a book that I would like to recommend is A Poetry Handbook by Mary Oliver. Have you seen this one or used it at all? I've seen it, but I haven't used it. I I probably should. So tell me more. <laughs> I think that you would really like it. So it's a prose guide to understanding and writing poetry. And I like it for a ton of different reasons, not just for understanding or writing poetry. There are a couple really quotable things that she says in here that I love and it's her her voice comes through because it's a prose guide to writing poetry. There are some exercises and some examples in there, but she's writing about the thing that she loves and I I love reading that. It's it's honestly just a really sweet read even if you're not super fascinated by poetry, but if you love Mary Oliver, it's worth picking up. So A couple of things that she says in there that I love. She says that writing a poem is a kind of possible love affair between something like the heart, that courageous but also shy factory of emotion, and the learned skills of the conscious mind. And I love that combination because something that I like to talk about with my students is you can use these skills to understand a poem but you still have to kind of feel it. You still have to go with your gut of what yes. you think it means. I love that. I really wish someone had told me that when I was a teenager. Because Same. I would read poems and like I would have feelings about them, but those weren't really welcome into the classroom. And that's exactly like when I teach poetry now, I read a poem to them and I just have them write, what are your initial feelings? And then you can go back and think, oh, how did the author make me feel that way? But starting with the mind doesn't seem to be the right direction to move in with poetry. And there are so few classes where kids get to connect with their feelings. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And particularly if you're teaching middle or high school, they have a lot of feelings (laughs) to feel. (laughs) Yes, all the time. (laughs) And I think that's probably why they end up liking poetry when when it's taught in this way where they're allowed to really explore and connect with it on that visceral level. 
And then another thing that she says that I think just really applies to all reading in general that I love is the space between daily language and literature is neither terribly deep nor wide, but it does contain a vital difference of intent and intensity. Mm, That's beautiful. It's just stunning. And I just love the way she puts that, of course. And then the book goes on. There are chapters on sound, different devices that you can use for sound in your poems, line breaks, forms, free verse, diction, tone and voice, imagery, all of the things that you would expect from a poetry handbook. But it's tools to help you write and read poems. I think that it's valuable if you just kind of want to hone your reading skills in general, things to look for if you feel like you really want to grasp what authors sometimes do with language. I really love that poetry handbook. It's a fun one to pull out. That's wonderful. I'm going to check that out because I don't read a ton of poetry myself. Mostly, I think, because I get like my poetry quota for the year by teaching it, but Mm -hmm. I would like to appreciate it even more and find space in my life for poetries. I think especially now when my reading focus is hit or miss, picking up a work of poetry and reading a poem and getting to feel deep feelings would be a great addition to my reading life. Yeah, I can't say that this poetry handbook like transformed transformed me into a poetry reader yeah (laughs) but it is inspiring and usually every April I'll pull it out and it reminds me like hey you have these poetry collections on your shelf maybe you should at least crack one open every once in a while because you I end up liking it when I do but I don't have that pull right the way that fiction has for me I don't have the pull to just open a book and read a poem a day I'm just not that person and it's okay yeah I'm curious When you do read poetry, or if you were to start reading poetry, literally how would you do it? Would you read through a collection? Would you read a poem a day? Would you read the poems in order? Like, how would you approach that? All right, so well, here's what I actually do, and then I'll tell you what I... (laughs) (laughs) So what I actually do is every April I go, huh, poetry, that's a thing. (laughs) And then I pull my like five poetry collections off my shelf and I flip through them and find a couple poems that I love. And then usually I'll put one on my nightstand and try and read a poem before bed every other night or so. And then they end up back on my shelf sometime in May or June and I forget about them for a while. And that's how it goes. But... (laughs) If I were to incorporate more poetry into, like, my weekly or even daily reading rhythm, I think either, like, first thing in the morning or before bed is probably when I would reach for it. So first thing in the morning, I think reading a poem gets your brain flowing. It's nice. It can be a meditation for your day, um, particularly if you have like some people do morning pages where they journal or write in the morning. A poem can be good creative fuel for that. And then I think the benefit of reading it before bed is sort of the same. It can be really meditative and relaxing and might help you process your day in a new way. And I think whenever you're establishing a small routine, early in the morning or at night is kind of the easiest way to remember that it's something that you do. So that's how I would do it. Maybe I'll start. We'll see. <laughs> like, and but... in, in your ideal version of yourself would do it exactly. That way. Yeah, <laughs> I I really like that. That might be something I try. Not necessarily every morning, but now that I'm in this new routine where I'm not rushing out the door at six forty-five in the morning, I could maybe fit a poem in. That might be something nice and leisurely to do with my morning. I really like this poem by another one by Billy Collins actually called Japan, where he reads a haiku in the morning and then he spends the whole day like thinking about the haiku and how different things throughout his typical day remind him of the haiku. I think that's really sweet. Yeah. And I again, I feel like my ideal self (laughs) would maybe... (laughs) 
read a poem in the morning and then throughout the day be reminded of that lovely language. And I do think that's the way to go. I mean, people have to do whatever is right for themselves. But for me, I think one poem at a time, especially since I am way more of a fiction reader. I'm inclined to like, oh, turn the next page, get like finish a book. But that's really not what poetry is for. It's not how I don't think it's meant to be read that way. I think having that space to mull over it lends itself better to just reading the one poem letting it breathe in your day and then moving on later or rereading it the next day. Yeah, I think rereading is great. I always, when I'm teaching poetry, tell my students, okay, we can break this poem apart, but then at the end, we're putting it back together. So we always end our analysis and reading of a poem by one of us, usually usually me, if none of them volunteer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just reading the poem aloud one more time and hearing it in its entirety. I I think that is smart, doing a little little reread of your poem the next day. And that's another great thing that you bring up is to not feel silly if you read it out loud to yourself. Oh, you have to read it out loud to yourself. Well, you don't have to. We're not here to tell anyone how to read anything. But I do think hearing the language is soothing and helpful. Definitely. Part of why I like poetry now is that as a recovering perfectionist, it teaches me to be okay with not getting everything, living in sort of the gray area of understanding, being okay with that sort of uncertainty, and just practicing something that, you know, I'm not always going to totally get it, and that's fine that's been a good part of poetry (laughs) like in terms of effects on my real life yeah I agree I think that a lot of reading is about asking good questions but maybe particularly reading poetry when I have to give my students tests on poetry I usually grade them I'm doing air quotes here (laughs) (laughs) on the questions they ask about the poem I'll give them a poem and then I'll say what does this poem make you wonder And that, to me, is way more important than what they unlock or get about the poem. Like, if a poem makes them wonder why the poet decided to use that particular word or what's in their backyard that they haven't noticed before, like, that's what I want them to get out of it. It's so much more interesting to read, too. Yes. I mean, you can go to Sparknotes if you really want the analysis, but... To actually see what someone's interpretation and personal question is. I mean, that's just more fun. Yeah, it's way more fun. And so though I do have to remind myself that that's what I should be expecting from myself if I read a poem. Like, I don't have to get it perfectly, but reading something and thinking, oh, this really makes me wonder about this. And just enjoying that, enjoying the question. I will say I'm not much of an annotation gal when I'm reading like just for leisure but I do really like annotating poems while I read them even if it just means I've circled two words that stand out to me there's something really I don't know there's something I love about that tangible experience with a poem yeah I agree well and there's so much space in the margins when you're reading a poem it's just (laughs) asking you to participate (laughs) it's so true well let's go through and just almost rapid fire name some collections or poets that we particularly enjoy yes I like that idea (laughs) (laughs) I'm a big fan of Emily Dickinson love her have you watched the new show I haven't me neither that's on what is it Apple TV or something yeah like the Uh, one thing I don't have yeah (laughs) (laughs) I think often she gets and I'm this is true of a lot of female poets I'm sure but she gets relegated to like the cute category her poems are not cute they're very dark they're dark and just because deep. you can sing them all to the tune of amazing grace doesn't <laughs> yeah. mean they're not deep dark and depressing they're so good and I also like that a lot of them are really short I call them like two bite poems like you can really get a lot out of some really short poems and I love her dashes I mean I love that scholars still don't agree on what exactly (laughs) those dashes mean and nobody probably ever will 
I love it. It's very cool. She leaves us room to wonder and to question, and that's awesome. Exactly. What are some of your favorites? One of my favorite poets is W.H. Auden. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I developed my love for him in my Greek poetry class that I was talking about earlier. He's not Greek. He's British. But my professor in that class loved Auden and has, you know, hundreds of his poems memorized. And so he'd just recite them to us while we were like walking around the beaches of Greece. And so then after my my Greek poetry class, I did an independent study on Auden with the same professor. And I just, the way he writes about grief, I mean, I think a lot of his poems are, his most famous poems are often about grief and they're often about kind of the devastation of war, but also of being gay at a time when he couldn't be openly himself. And they're just really lovely and the language is simple but surprising. There's often kind of a twist at the end of his poems where he reveals something that the poem is about that unlocks kind of some other meanings earlier. I really love him. Yeah, he's a great one. I I enjoy his poems. I often forget about him though. Yeah, I think a lot of people do. He's not one of the like big names I think his funeral blues is Mm -hmm. is that what it's called it's in four weddings and a funeral I think and it's often in poetry anthologies but not many others are in poetry anthologies definitely a couple other collections that I actually have in front of me literally right now (laughs) are Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude by Ross Gay and No Matter the Wreckage by Sarah Kay, who I mentioned before. And I put these two together because their poems, I think, really highlight the beauty of everyday life. And I really love when poets do that. And um, a lot of their poems are free verse, which I think is fun. And I, yeah, I just really like them. And they're also just really beautiful. Like these would make really great gifts. I'm, I'm holding this up, but we'll Show have me. pictures on our Instagram. <laughs> but the oh, Ross Day is, is just like paint splatters and Sarah Kay's collection is, has this really pretty illustrated cover. Oh, so gorgeous. We'll obviously maybe have already even posted those on Instagram by the time that you're hearing this, but they're just pretty. And I think that they make for really good gifted collections as well of note ross gay he actually has won a bunch of poetry awards and is quite well acclaimed not that that matters but i do i do appreciate when people are recognized for their talent and he is super talented i have his newest book sitting on my shelves and maybe i'll check that out maybe even on audio that's a good way to go. I think audio's so good for poetry. Yeah. Another favorite of mine is Carol Ann Duffy. Do you know her? The name is familiar. I just don't have any poems that pop up to mind right away. Okay, I'm going to have to maybe gift you this book, The World's Wife. You would love it. What she does is she takes mythological characters, fairy tale heroines, and real historical women, and she retells their stories in poetry form. So she has like a Penelope poem, a Little Red Riding Hood poem, a Punch's Pilot's Wife poem. So all kinds of figures. And yeah, you can go ahead and just like inject that in my veins right now. (laughs) You would love it. I well, actually, it was a teacher at my school who told me about this. And I was like, I can't believe I don't have this in women in literature. Yeah, adding it immediately. Sorry, I'm flipping through trying to find. Oh, there's an Anne Hathaway poem about Shakespeare's wife. And some of them are tiny, like, like you said, bite sized. Here's Mrs. Darwin. 7th April, 1852. Went to the zoo. I said to him, something about that chimpanzee over there reminds me of you. (laughs) I love it. So good. Yeah, they're very funny and irreverent, but also 
Some of them are much darker, more serious. It, she has a great balance of tone throughout this collection. It's phenomenal. I love that. We mentioned Mary Oliver before, but I think we'd be remiss to not mention her again, that all of her poetry collections are stunning and beautiful. I only own Felicity, that collection of hers. I don't own any of her other collections, but a lot of, when we're talking about a lot of these poets, almost all of them are going to have poems available online. That's another thing I love about poetry is it's very accessible that way. Yes, I love that too. I own Mary Oliver's Devotions, which I think was her, that was her last published book before she passed away last year, but it's a best of collection. And a lot of the collections I own are like that. Like the Billy Collins collection I own is called Sailing Alone Around the Room. And it has poems from various collections. That's a nice way to see the breadth of a poet's work. One poet who I don't own any of her poetry books and read a lot online is Audre Lorde, but I actually just ordered her collected works from bookshop.org the other day because I was like, this needs to be on my shelf. Where, what is happening here? She's yeah. so great. Her poems are amazing. I have a collection. I'll have to see what it's called. It might be like one of the British publishers versions of her work, but it's a collection with her essays and her poetry, which I think are so good written or read in tandem. Yeah. That, I mean, you can read her poems and appreciate them, but I think that reading her work sort of mixed together is really, really great. Yeah. She has a lot of essays and speeches about the necessity and urgency of poetry, and you can really see that in her poems themselves. So I... I agree with that. I also have to confess that I really love sonnets. I like sonnets too. I think sometimes because they're so rhythmic, they can be sort of, I don't know, taken as cheesy or something or too sing-song, but I just really, really love them. I love that there's a specific pattern that really ties to the meaning And right now, I am so loving Patrick Stewart reading sonnets on his Instagram every day, and he sometimes provides commentary as well, and it's just the most soothing thing in the world. That's amazing. I love that. I fell in love with Shakespeare sonnets because as a kid, I would always watch Sense and Sensibility, the Emma Thompson one when I was sick, and... They quote Sonnet 116 in the movie. (laughs) And I just thought it was the most romantic thing I'd ever seen. And that totally made me swoon over sonnets for the rest of my life. And while I love, I love free and blank verse poetry, and I'm, I'm glad that poetry has broken the mold, I do think it's really cool to see how different writers use the constraints of a particular form of poetry to almost increase their creativity like because they have to write it in this number of lines and this pattern they use language they might not otherwise and it's fun to see how they make that happen I think I'm really drawn to when modern poets write sonnets then and they use sort of the same structure just like what you said it just I don't know, it brings about something completely different in poetry. And I think we are really used to free verse by now. Yeah. That sometimes going back to that rhythm, there's just something really comforting about it. Yeah, I agree. A few other collections or authors that I love. I love Pablo Neruda, his short collection, 20 Love Poems in the Song of Despair, is absolutely gorgeous. And of course, we can't talk about poetry without mentioning Langston Hughes, who... I love him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so many of his poems are available on Poetry Foundation. Like, so many. Which is another reason I, I don't have a collection of his on my shelves, and I probably should, but it's so great that we have access to that online. Mm-hmm. Theme for English B is one of my favorites to teach with students. 
so good. Yeah, he's a great example of, I mean, I think there are a lot of other Harlem Renaissance poets that are amazing, but I feel like his poetry, when we talk about sort of like readable poems, what I mean by that is they're a little bit easier to get on the first reading. Yeah. And I think there's something, first of all, really beautiful about that, but also really confidence building, particularly for students. But I also find myself really drawn to that. And I know there are people that really want to, I don't know, look, I don't love Rupi Kaur's poetry, but I don't want to push it aside into a different category because I think people really connect with it. And I think it's really important to have poetry that isn't completely unrecognizable to the human to to the English language or to any language you know what I mean yeah that's such a good point I think there's something to having these or focusing on these poems that are maybe a little bit more accessible without having to sit and and annotate and analyze but that are just a little bit more readable I just really love poems like that and Langston Hughes is one of those poets for me that I just I love reading his poetry me too. I also love that some of his poems, I think, of course, the most famous of this is I Too Sing America, mm-hmm. or I think it's just called I Too, but it's a response to Whitman's I Hear America Singing. I love that some of his poems respond directly to other poets, and that's fairly common in poetry, and I think that's really cool to show students too, and I love it to see these great minds and these authors having this conversation across time about big ideas is really really cool yeah it's novels do that too of course that's the whole yeah the whole gist of novel pairings but in a poem you can like sit down and read them both in one go and partake in that conversation I love that it's such a reverberating echo and it's yeah it's beautiful Not to get too earnest about it, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) You can never be too earnest in my book. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about novels in verse because I know that we are both kind of loving this poetry resurgence that's happening in the form of these verse novels. I really enjoy particularly the way that middle grade and YA is taking this and you know novels in verse have existed for I mean forever because a lot of Odyssey yeah it's all yeah that's that's basically what a novel in verse is it's just a story that's being told through poetry but I think that there are a few specific books that have done this so well and that I've really really loved I really really cannot recommend enough Elizabeth Acevedo's work on audiobook. It's amazing. So good. Um, The Poet X and With the Fire on High. And I listened to With the Fire on High first, and I really, I feel like I like it better because I listened to it first. <laughs> oh, okay. I haven't listened to it yet. I, I listened to The Poet X, I think, last month, very recently. They're so incredible, and I... I just really love her poetry. She does the narration as well. And so you can really hear her talent for that spoken word. And she's just absolutely amazing. So she's a new favorite in my book. Yes, I, I agree. I love her. I'm really excited to read or probably listen to With the Fire on High. Poetex is phenomenal. I think I'm going to put it on my choice reads list for students going forward. Jacqueline Woodson is also a beautiful poet and author, and she writes both novels in verse and novels in prose, but even her prose novels like Another Brooklyn or Red at the Bone have those poetic qualities, but Brown Girl Dreaming, her middle grade memoir in verse, I think it's a memoir, is so beautiful and again she reads the audio so good with any novel in verse the way to go is to listen to it I do like having the book so I can 
go back and look and see where individual poems were. But listening to it is an unbeatable experience. One novel and verse that I actually read on the page and haven't listened to, but I'm sure it's amazing on audio, is Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds, who also writes in verse or prose like Jacqueline Woodson. And so I think that his writing is really incredible for that. But that book is so good. Another one that I can't recommend enough. And I'm particularly fond of it because I had a student who was just really not into the whole reading thing. And I handed him Long Way Down and he read it really fast, read it multiple times. And then I just kept giving him similar books that weren't necessarily novels in verse, but sort of along similar themes. And he was devouring them. And I think that it was such a perfect gateway book to reading. And so I'm really fond of it for that reason. These poets and these young adult authors do such a great job of just making their novels so propulsive and... There's something about the heightened emotions with the verse and the imagery in their poetry that really ramps it up for young adult readers. That's really incredible. Yeah, as you said, teenagers have a lot of feelings and the intensity that these authors put into their works is palpable and really enjoyable. Kwame Alexander is another one that I can't go without mentioning. He's really incredible. The Crossover is a really popular one, but... He's got tons of middle grade and YA novels in verse, and those are all really, really good on audio. I'm pretty sure he narrates. And I haven't read Kwame Alexander yet, but I really want to. I think it took me a little while to come to some of these books just because I think I kind of burnt myself out on YA, but these are so different. They're so authentic. I think that one of my struggles with YA is the, uh, I don't know, outlandish qualities of some YA, which can be really, really fun when I want an escape. But I think some of these books are just so, yeah, authentic and intense, but really speak to the realities that a lot of teenagers are feeling. Elizabeth Acevedo's work in particular is very, I felt like it was a very real teenage voice that I was listening to, but there is a certain maturity to it that I I kind of like you, I have to take breaks from YA sometimes, even though I love it, even though it's fabulous. Sometimes I just need a break, but uh, her books in particular, I think, can really appeal to adult readers. Yeah, and for me as a teacher, and I would imagine that anyone who works with kids or has kids might feel the same way, what I'm really looking for in YA is that real visceral reminder of what it's like to be a teenager, all the things that you're thinking about, all the things that you're feeling, that sometimes as adults we are so far removed. And I think as a teacher, I need to, it's part of my job to remind myself of what being a teenager feels like. That's such a good point. We might have to do a bonus episode just on young adult lit. (laughs) Oh, that's a great idea. Okay, add it to our list. (laughs) I think that's all I have to say about poetry. (laughs) Same. Is there a poet or a collection that you think you might grab for like a morning read or something after we talked about this? I'm feeling like I'm going to probably open my uh, poetry handbook by Mary Oliver just to get me back into sort of the mood, but I'm curious to hear if there's something you're going to pick up next. Oh, I love that. Well, I think the first thing I'm going to do is take some pictures of some Carol Ann Duffy poems and send them to you so you can read them. Not too many. I won't break copyright infringement. Yeah. But I actually got myself a new Carol Ann Duffy collection. I think I might do that, although her poems are a little bit more irreverent, and I think maybe I am in the mood for something a little more earnest. So definitely when my Audre Lorde collection gets here, that will go straight on my nightstand Otherwise, I think I'm going to maybe reread some of my Auden favorites. Now that I've been talking about my month in Greece, I I think rereading some Auden would put me back in that happy place. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the content of his poetry 
probably really captures the I don't know worldwide mood right now which yes which is also if it's too intense I will share that on Instagram so you all can be warned (laughs) how about you other than your Mary Oliver. I had the Sarah Kay collection on my nightstand prior to this, and I read a couple of those. So maybe I'll keep plugging away at that. But I also just think that uh, listening or watching Patrick Stewart's sonnet videos, I mean, that counts as reading a poem. Y'all, watching a video counts as reading a poem. It does. (laughs) (laughs) It really does. I am going to, I don't follow him. I'm going to follow him as a daily reminder to watch my my sonnet of the day. Has he gotten to 116? Yeah. I believe he did. I think okay. so. Great. I'll I'll listen to that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that there are probably I'm sure. I don't subscribe to any of them, but I'm sure you can sign up for a poem to be sent to your email and that's a great way to do it as well because I mean, I check my email every day. I might as well click on a poem and read it really quick and make it part of my routine that way. Yeah, I think maybe Norton is doing that or maybe Knopf for probably a few publishers. We'll put some links to places like Poetry Foundation and Poets.org are great resources. They definitely do poem a day if you feel like signing up. Button Poetry is really fantastic if you are into spoken word. They have tons of videos on their YouTube channel and uh, that's just a really great resource to go for if you want that sort of poetry. Okay, I'm going to amend my answer to I'm going to look into button poetry because I need to expand my familiarity with spoken word. Yeah, button is the way to go. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, this was so fun. I actually, I know we weren't here to convince anyone to go read poems, (laughs) but I feel like I've convinced or you've convinced me to we've read convinced ourselves <laughs> yeah we've convinced ourselves to read poetry <laughs> yeah we'll we'll let you all know how that goes how long yeah. it lasts <laughs> well for more classic lit enthusiasm and podcast news we would love for you to follow us on instagram and twitter on instagram we're at novel pairings pod and twitter we're just novel pairings We'd love to know whether you pick up any of the poems that we mentioned today or the novels in verse, especially on audiobook. You know how we feel about audiobooks. So feel free to tag us and tell your friends about the Novel Pairings podcast by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or by sharing our most recent episode on social media. We declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How soon one tires of anything We'll be back soon with an episode on Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare.